If you're looking to buy or sell pre-IPO stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. Since 2009, SharesPost has transacted more than $4 billion in the top private tech companies. Proven, trustworthy, secure. Visit us at SharesPost.com. Coming up on equity, Apple finally hits $1 trillion. Cisco makes another massive acquisition. Sonus's IPO goes crazy, and SoftBank makes a big bet on candy and soap. It's almost that time of the year again. Disrupt SF is right around the corner and will literally be bigger and better than ever. We've outgrown the various piers that line the bay and have moved the show to Moscone West. Panels across two stages will include Aileen Lee, Reed Hoffman, Ellie Wheeler, Ashton Kutcher, Ben Horowitz, and Priscilla Chan, just to name a few. Sounds like a great lineup to us. And because we love you, our dear equity listeners, we have a discount code just for you. Head on over to techcrunch.com slash events slash disrupt dash SF dash 2018 and enter code equity for 15% off the main ticket price. What savings? Welcome to Equity. I'm TechRetch's Matthew Lindley. I'm joined by Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief Alex Wilhelm. Hey, everybody. Uh, Silicon Valley editor Connie Loizos is out today. And our guest today is Jody Bansal, who is the, wait for it, the founder of Entrepreneurship Lab, Big Labs, the former CEO and founder of App Dynamics, which also sold to Cisco for a lot of money, a partner at Unusual Ventures, and now the CEO of his new startup, Harness. It's a lot all at once, but thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone. That's right. the best so, list yet, dude. I love that list. <laughs> I know it's, it's the pedigree is getting the 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 titles are getting longer and longer and longer. Last I think last week we had a what was it self described soulless VC yes. uh, Alexis Ohadian or something <laughs> like that. So um, okay, so uh, so it finally happened. Yes, After, uh, we've been talking about this for year for more than a year now, and it finally happened. Apple officially hit a market cap of one trillion dollars. Alex. Walk us through what happened, why this is completely meaningless. Yeah, so the critical thing up front is that being worth a big round number isn't actually very important. It's not any more useful than anything else. But as a milestone for us humans, because we love that sort of thing, it stands out a bit. So the race to a trillion, as it's been called, has been underway for a long time. Uh, mostly in conversation over the last three months, the question was, which major US tech company would reach the $1 trillion market cap uh, threshold first, and Apple pulled it off today. Now, the reason why I kind of wanted to bring this up isn't because it's just kind of a cool moment, but there was a bit of intrigue around uh, the milestone. And so, what people didn't really realize is that a lot of the online um, stock tracking tools like MarketWatch and Google Finance use different share counts. So, what counted as a trillion was a bit uh, indeterminate. Now, what everyone ended up doing was going to Apple's most recent 10Q which uh, detailed that the company has uh, 4.829 billion uh, shares outstanding, roughly meaning, critically, that if Apple crossed the $207.04 share price threshold, it would be worth a trillion. And today it happened. (laughs) So after a lot of um, faffery and a lot of discussion, a lot of like, you know, people wondering if it will happen, it has now happened and now nothing happens. So that's kind of the story. It's, (laughs) it's, it's, It's neat. It's neat. It's important. It's cool, but it's also meaningless and useless. It's a lot like middle school. <laughs> well, the new news uh, that people will track is like, when do Apple go below one trillion, and then that will become the, <laughs> the, the, the new thing to speculate on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so Alex mentioned uh, you you mentioned you know the list of companies, and um, I guess we're we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and call it Mang now instead of Fang because Facebook lost 
how many hundreds of billions? Like 120 billion uh, one day or something crazy like that. It was, it was a lot. Uh, so, uh, but the, the companies that were in contention were Google, because at one point Google was actually the most valuable company in the world. I think that was sometime last year. Uh, Google, Alphabet, sorry, not Google, Alphabet. Never going to get that right. Um, Al- so Alpha, it was Alphabet, uh, Amazon, which was has just been on a complete tear um, for the past you know many many years because they have servers which are making money and retail which is not really making money, and a bunch of grocery stores which TBD if they make money and so on and so forth. Uh, Microsoft, which under Satya Nadella is making money, it's doing again, quite well. Growing again. <laughs> it's doing quite well. Yes, exactly. And then Apple, obviously. Um, so yeah, so uh, so who knew that a company that makes exactly, not exactly, an estimated one and a half products uh, would, would turn it to, turn out to be, that's, that's a gross oversimplification. They have a lot of money. Well, one uh, thing I want to point out is that the, the appreciation of these mega companies has been incredibly material. It isn't just Apple that's doing well. So last July, I wrote an article about how the big five, the companies that Lindley listed, were worth $3 trillion. And I was shocked. That they were in aggregate worth that much. Like about a month ago, they reached four trillion, and now Apple's worth a trillion by itself. So I know, I know we're in the late stage of this of this long bull market that's especially lifted tech companies. But the scale of value creation, even in the last twelve to thirteen months, has been simply unbelievable. And you know, as our fine guest just said, what happens when this goes down? What happens when this turns? I don't know. But at least Apple held on to the trillion dollar market cap at the end of trading today, so it will have at least one day of a close worth that benchmark. Now, you know, is this the new Nasdaq five thousand from you know year two thousand? I don't know, but hell of a moment. You know, it's kind of fun to watch everyone on Twitter come together to watch this happen. CNBC had a live ticker. You know, it was a big affair. <laughs> yeah, definitely, it's a it's a milestone, and it's the. There's a lot of disproportionate value creation happening in these, uh, you know, the the big five. So that's uh, I don't know if uh, uh, the if when the if say a change happens and a downward change happens and we are if we if we really are at the peak, would that be disproportionate as well or not? That that would be uh, interesting to see. Oh, so you mean like if if most of the value lost is going to be from the companies that created all of that value. Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, that'll be, I mean, I think that, I mean, we we have seen a, a, a wave of like kind of smaller sassy IPOs, yes. right? So uh, like Twilio, Okta, Dropbox, DocuSign, so on and so on and so forth. I guess we got Uber on the horizon now because, you know, we were, we were thinking like, oh yeah, it's like going to be next year, 2019 or whatever. And it's like, crap, 2019 is literally six months away. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> I, the, the SaaS point's really, really good because there was a great chart in the uh, Silicon Valley Bank kind of Q3 preview uh, report they put out. And what it did was it just tracked the the revenue multiple for cloud companies over the last couple of years. And what it shows, there's been a great appreciation of the value of recurring revenue among public cloud companies, kind of modern software companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the last three years. And I think that's why we're seeing so many more IPOs this this time uh, of the year. And also why I think tech has been doing so well. Because the whole market is repriced what tech creates now, which is mostly yeah. recurring revenue. Um, and that's huge. Yeah. And I, I don't think it gets enough attention because it's kind of boring in the background. But you know, if public investors will pay more, so will private investors. And I think this has driven some of the value or value appreciation we've seen among SaaS startups and also some non-SaaS startups, frankly. Yeah. Well, I mean, SaaS, yeah, SaaS is traditionally valued at what, like three to seven x next year's revenue or something along those lines. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's getting on the higher end, if, especially if your growth rate is higher. If you're yeah. growing more than 20, 30 percent, you'll probably get like, you know, on the higher end of that. Eight like eight, eight or nine or something yeah. like mm-hmm. that. And, but it's crazy to think that like that's like we so it was it was 
insane for a while, and then it finally dropped back to three to seven x next year's revenue. And now we're kind of creeping back back up again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, everything yeah. is the same. I think the think one thing people have realized is like, you know, if a, if a SaaS company, especially a B2B kind of SaaS company, they hit close to 100 million of revenue, it's not that hard to hit three, uh, 300. Yeah. Because you already have that momentum, the velocity, you figure out your market. And that really is, I do think like, you know, the market has realized, like it's, if you are going IPO at 100 million, even though you sound pricier, there's a high chance you will at least triple your revenue from there. Yeah, and it was it's, and it's interesting that you say that because you're talking about like okay, if a if a SaaS company is able to get 100 million dollars in revenue, um, a lot of the stuff that I feel like we focus on now, and I think Spotify was actually not a terrible example of this, is churn, because mm-hmm. it's like you've so say I've hit 100 million in revenue, I've got my cohort, and theoretically, like that is gonna that is going to be dictated by my churn. And now I'm just, now my goal is just adding cohorts, right? I'm adding my 2018 cohort. I'm adding exactly. My, yeah. And that's where you see also the, the investors have gotten pretty smart about it. So they know that if you're selling to large enterprise, the churn would be lower. So the multiples are higher. If you're selling to SMB, the churn will be a bit higher. So your multiples are slightly lower. If you're selling to consumers like Spotify, your churn can be even higher than that. So it's uh, and so then your multiples will depend on that. So th- that's the sophisticated investors have figured out how to calculate churn by your consumer type as well, your customer yes. type as well. Yeah. So we went from growth metrics to next year's revenue, and now we're at churn. <laughs> well, and... all I was trying to say, I promise, I didn't mean to derail us from the Apple topic. I was just trying to say that a lot of tech companies, both public and private, both consumer hardware and SaaS, are seeing kind of a value appreciation at the moment, and that's why there's so much enthusiasm around tech startups uh, that I think we see in the valley and also around the world. But this isn't just a, a, a unique moment for Apple. It's just a cool threshold that they finally hit. But everyone in tech seems to be doing pretty well, aside from Blue Apron, which uh, fell twenty percent more today. That's off topic, but you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, just also be to be clear one more time. We 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 talk about the Mang companies now. I'm I'm definitely not going to say Fang anymore. But um, we talk about the uh, so we talk about uh, all like these larger guys and. Um, we still live in an alternate universe where the price earnings ratio for Netflix is 230. Um, and the company is like a $150 billion company and the price earnings ratio for Apple is 11. The price earnings ratio for Google, I, I, this, and so this is like one sort of, again, like, you know, fantasy mystery metric for like determining the value of these companies. But again, talking about the wealth creation at the top or the, uh, price earnings ratio for Google is 51. And let me pull up Microsoft's really fast. Uh, Microsoft is 72 and Amazon. This is is what you call on the fly research. 230. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's really the, 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 I think the people are giving them value for the, they're practically monopolies in many situations. Like it's hard to compete with them and for a lot of new companies. Yeah. So there is, there is a value for that because people know they will grab more and more market shares until that changes, until they start running into that, uh, you will see the, you can justify like, you know, why the ratios are so high. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, you look at Apple and they, you know, they, they have competitors, they have Samsung and things like that. And you look at Amazon, which has again, a a price earnings ratio of 230.73, there are no competitors, <laughs> except for, I guess, like Azure and Google Cloud and stuff like that. So. Hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. Well, we should um, talk about the big the big deal sorry. that happened just recently. So Cisco is back on, on the hunt. Yeah. So, Lindley, what did they buy this time? So um, Matt Burns, if you were listening, also a TechCrunch writer, is very excited about this. Uh, so Cisco bought a... 
a firm called Duo Security, based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, for $2.35 billion in cash and assumed equity rewards for Duo. So Duo, odds are, if, you're, if you've used it before, it's literally a push notification on your phone. Um, you try to log into Okta or whatever, and you get a push notification, you press yes, and you're logged in. Um, for the, the general like end, end user uh, part of it. But, but the... It is a when you think about it, it is a really freaking hard problem mm-hmm. to create that kind of like a secure login system. Where I mean, I remember like back circa twenty twelve or twenty thirteen, you had to carry those little like RSA keys in your pocket mm-hmm. or something if you ever wanted to log mm-hmm. into a secure VPN to access WordPress or mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know. It was terrible. It was yeah, a terrible yeah, system, yeah. and now we got a push notification. Um, but we have in the room someone who also sold their company to Cisco for a lot of money. So why does Cisco want this? Uh, you know, as you said, uh, this is a very large problem, interesting problem. We all, the, the two-factor authentication, you know, the first part of it was, you know, do you on SMS, you send SMS message, you get a text and you you type it in. That's your two-factor authentication. It's safe and secure. But people have figured out how to hack it. You can hack the, you can, you know, replicate the SIM. You can transfer the your text messages to somewhere else. The hack that was announced at Reddit just this week was done exactly like that. The two-factor authentication using SMS was hacked. Mm-hmm. What Duo does, it solves that. Like, you know, you have an app, you get a push notification, you can't hack it easily. So it's it's a, it's an interesting technology. It's very, very, very useful. For Cisco, you know, as uh, you know, as Alex was just saying, the, 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 all tech companies are trying to get recurring revenue business. So Cisco has stated completely that's where they want to be. They want to be a software company more and more. They want to have recurring revenue more and more. That's the reason they acquired AppDynamics for $3.7 billion last year as well. That more recurring revenue, that's the... You know, uh, that's why they require do as well. And I do think it's the right move for them. They have plenty of cash. They they are they are looking at these high growth markets, large markets, interesting technologies that have come out, and uh, they're giving them capital to grow. They are you know they are acquiring them to get the recurring revenue mm-hmm. business, which makes sense. So I mean, well, but how do we get from switches <laughs> to? Like companies like AppDynamics and Duo. I mean, I mean, essentially, they're trying to basically be the connective tissue of work, right? Yes. So, so, but, but still, like that's there's a little bit of a jump from a switch to a, to a, to a push notification. So, I mean, but how how do we get there? Well, it's they ha- this is the path here. You know, I think it's a smart move that the it's hard for Cisco to completely change the DNA and start building, you know, a software like AppDynamics or software like Duo Security. So what you do is you 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 acquire some of the strategic companies there and you build around them. Mm-hmm. So, what Cisco wanted to do with AppDynamics, you acquire AppDynamics and you build a lot of IT operations, you know, things around it. And now you acquire, like, you know, someone like Duo Security, and you know, you you build more things around it. Cisco has a pretty strong security business that's, uh, you know, which has been growing uh, pretty heavily. So, Duo fits it. Fits it's also well, a great return uh, for their the investors. Future. So, if it sold for two point three five billion in cash and and some other whatnot. Uh, it was valued, I believe, last at one point one five billion, so about a two x over its last valuation. But it had only raised around one hundred and twenty million dollars, so a pretty good revenue. Sorry, multiple on invested capital. I think it's pretty pretty solid, and I think we've seen a couple of uh, IPOs kind of go out at flat or negative valuations to prior uh, private marks. So this is a pretty solid result. So I think Cisco is kind of becoming this quiet rainmaker uh, for an entire like group of venture capitalists. Um, but their last round was uh, seventy mil in October of twenty seventeen. So, like, what is that? You know, eight, nine, ten months ago. Um, so they probably were snapped up competitively because yeah. you, you don't run out of seventy million that quickly. They weren't desperate for an exit. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so Cisco, um, again, kind of, uh, you know, we could call this like a, a halo effect from the S&P or the Big Five or whatever, right? Um, but Cisco also, like, is, in the past year, their stock is up like 34 35% or something like that. So it's definitely yep. not, you know, it's not doing too badly. It's not like Facebook status where it, where it's down however many percentage or something like that um, in the past, in the or Twitter or anything else. I'm kind of comparing them to consumer startups because they <laughs> they didn't do well. But um, but I mean, thirty five percent is like substantial for a company that again, like you're talking about, is making a not a hard pivot but a soft pivot into services. And these are extremely hard pivots to do. Like you know, from making switches and selling hardware and selling for one time to selling more subscription and recurring business, becoming a software company. But it's it's you you want to do it while your stock is doing well, while your your growth is still high, because the investor base is still the growth investors, they will allow you to make these bets. Once you start getting into your growth is slowed down like a like an IBM, you know, everyone wants just profits out of you know, really they don't care about revenue growth as many as an investor base, then it becomes hard and hard to invest. The only thing that you can do is buy more shares, buy back shares. That's that's all you can do at that point. Mm-hmm. So Cisco is doing it the smartly at the right time before the before the growth slows down on the switching business and all that. Before they slowly have to divest their assets and ride the dividends. <laughs> and, and one last, I know we've been <laughs> on this for a minute now, but Cisco's worth over $200 billion. So even though it's not big five territory, you know, like $500 billion and up, it's still a simply massive corporation. And I think I forget that from time to time. I always think it kind of felt like being worth like 50, but 200 and change, that's an enormous amount of market cap to play with. So this doesn't even have to be their last mega deal. They probably have enough uh, in the tank to do a couple more. So if you want to sell your company, uh, I believe it's uh, M&A at Cisco.com. Send them an email. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's not just yes. the market cap of Cisco, it's the cash. Yeah. So Cisco had some of the highest amount of cash outside of uh, outside of US, and now with the Their you know the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. they brought most of it uh, in here. So there's, they're pr- pretty flush with cash. Wait, so a company that repatriated their capital is buying <laughs> is to actually going Who to eliminate? That is unheard of. <laughs> That's not what's happening. That's definitely not happening. And they're they're going to just return return a hundred billion dollars to investors. Um, anyway. So, uh, yeah, and it, it's like it is. I mean, it is interesting in that you look at like the kind of growth that Cisco has. Obviously, it's no Microsoft, but same thing. Microsoft is doing a soft pivot into mm-hmm. services away from like. I mean, I guess they always had like Windows and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. But they they're they're subscription businesses, yep. right? So now they have Azure, they have Office three sixty five, they have all these other things. They have the Surface, which is interesting on the side, but like. For Xbox, yeah. it's not even Xbox. It's Xbox Live, Xbox. right? It's all these like mm-hmm. all these recurring services and like recurring revenue and yeah. renting thing is like kind of the future because you can sort of I don't know you can rent your phone even now yeah. like you don't even have to buy an iPhone right outright you can sort of like pay whatever it is fifty bucks a month and then turn it back in for a new one in a year if you really wanted to so uh, so it's interesting so speaking of hardware hard transition not no hard points pivot. for that segue um, Lindley no points we have that was another- terrible. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, it's fine. It's fine. It's not any worse than yours. Um, okay. So we have another IPO today. Uh, and uh, they keep coming, man. Um, we have another IPO today. Sonos, the speaker maker, uh, has gone public this morning. Um, so last night they priced their IPO. They fell under the range. Um, so essentially they sandbagged the hell out of us, which because they went public and they are now above their range. So the original range was set between $17 and $19. And they went public at $15 and they are now at $20. That is a 33% jump. Actually, they're at 2050 because of after hours. So it's like a 35% jump. Um, so they sell speakers. Um, but the, the thing with Sonos, which is interesting, is that uh, they, they're kind of like a, they're almost like a, a Switzerland, right? 
they have so you have all these speakers uh from you know they have the apple at home pod you have the amazon echo you have the google home and all of them have their own assistants and they're great and then you have sonos which has all of them or not all of them but like we'll have all of them we'll have they'll have any assistant you want you can like say like to sonos alexa order me this and google home hey google blah 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 right um and so it's interesting because you're looking at this company, which which went public and has you know up by like thirty five percent. It's like okay, well, a consumer hardware company that wants to sell speakers is turns out is actually like people people like it. So, um, but I mean, it's it's you know like the, the I think the last big hardware startup that or startup not startup but hard, hardware company that went public. Um, that di- that's done really really well is is Roku and uh, Roku's not even really a hardware company anymore. They're more of like a software company. Um, but yeah, anyway, so people like hardware. Am I wrong? Well, people consumers like it, but the investors sometimes don't. That's why they probably have to price the IPO down. Like mm-hmm. the GoPro from seventy four percent down from its IPO. Oh, yeah. Fitbit is seventy percent down from its IPO. So there there's a little bit of like the investor skepticism around this consumer hardware tech. Mm-hmm. I think Sonos is a little bit different, at least for now. And if they can, uh, the, the the these consumer hardware tech are a bit fickle markets. The mm-hmm. consumers are fickle, so it can change very fast, uh, year, two years. Yeah. But, but right now, as a, I can tell you as a user of Sonos, I I, I, I love it. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the easiest speaker system if you really want to focus on wiring up your house and make it easily from a from a listening music perspective. Mm-hmm. So I can see the consumer excitement about it. Yeah. And so so I talked to uh, Mike Volpe this morning, who was an investor at Index Ventures, oh, wow. who has been an investor in this company since 2009. So that is 19 years, 19 yeah. years after the fact they are getting an IPO return. Um, and and one of the things that he kind of he, he kind of brought up is that, you know, Sonus has this like this very big uh, portfolio of hardware devices at very different price points. They have their low end, they have their middle end, they have their high end. For Apple, the low end is the iPhone SE, which is still like 400 or 500 bucks or something like that. And the high end is the iPhone 10, which is like $1,000 or $1,200. And for Sonos, they basically, they say like, okay, like we, people are going to, we don't have to have like a brand new thing, like the newest of the new every December, because mm-hmm. we don't need people to upgrade. We want people to add we want people to have new Sonos's in their house, and then basically, if they add, like, they're if they're buying a soundbar, they're at buying a soundbar to add it to their speaker. Or if they're buying a new speaker, they're shifting their old one into their bedroom while the new one goes in the living room, things like that. And and people, you know, Sonos had talked about how people own multiple Sonos speakers. Mm-hmm. You know, you're only ever going to buy one iPhone theoretically, unless you're Dave Moran and you have two. If you, you didn't get that joke, iPhone. go back to 2010 um, and look up what we're and, talking but, about. But it's like <laughs> it was a lot. That is a joke stemming from the was days when Pass was a credible competitor. <laughs> to Facebook. I mean, that is, that's a minute ago. That's a deep cut, oh, I guess, man. is what I'm saying. Oh, man. I miss yeah. Pat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think for Sonos, the, the biggest challenge again would be for them to figure out uh, subscription revenue. Yeah. It's, it's, without that, it would be pretty in unpredictable business as a public company. Mm-hmm. And how do you predict revenue again and again? And that's where the challenge is being the Switzerland. Can they take some of the 
you know subscription revenue away from a spotify or a pandora or you know, yeah. um, you know uh, the music services that will use uh, you will use on them yeah and all these guys all these guys have music services as well yeah. like there's spotify which is you know the switzerland music services speaking of switzerland um <laughs> but there's also like apple has apple music and that's actually like been a tremendous success for them uh google has google like google's own music service which like who the hell knows how that's going um and apple apple has you know the amazon or not apple Amazon has like Amazon music that can be baked into Amazon prime and all of that stuff. And Amazon prime is insanely big. Uh, and the echo I think is like far away, like the most pop, one of the most popular of probably not one of the most popular, probably the most popular of all of all of these guys. Right. Um, so, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, what I, what I'm wondering is does a Sonos branded. No, I think it goes the other way. So think about the, the, the what this company is now worth. It did tons of revenue, right? It's a huge company. Yeah, it, well, in the, the fiscal year ending yeah, September 30th, billion, 2017, so kind of yeah. Q3 uh, calendar from last year, it did about uh, $992 million. So it, it's an enormous company. But it's worth about $1.8, billion, doing mental math there off its new share price. Why doesn't Spotify just buy it? Spotify is worth a lot more than that, like a multiple of that. So I, you know, thinking about it being in Switzerland, why stay Switzerland? Why not plug yourself into a company that has a ton of recurring revenue and leverage that? I would totally buy Spotify branded hardware. Maybe I'm a music nerd, but like that sounds fantastic to me. I love the idea. Well, I, eh, yeah, you think? Sucks, I don't though. know if I agree with that actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine um i don't know let's it's, ask it's, let's ask hard, the, hardware yeah. is a little bit more complicated business so a company like spotify you know they will create a you know a completely different business for them to understand or their investors to understand that can drag their price down yeah yeah i mean it's, it's also one of those things that um i mean sonos obviously has like a wide variety of products and a wide variety of price points so if i if i'm buying a soundbar at no, probably five hundred bucks. I'm probably not buying it as a gift. Uh, I'm probably buying it from. Yeah. <laughs> theoretically, I'm not buying it as a gift. Um, I'm probably buying it for myself. And I think, you know, unless I'm like buying it as a holiday gift for myself, it's kind of that's kind of time invariant. So it's it's. I think the argument could be made that a lot like there's going to be a subset of. Sonos's products that'll be gifts, kind of like the Google Home Mini is a really interesting gift or the Amazon Echo, the stuff that's under a hundred bucks. And then there's gonna be a set of Sonos products that are that are, you know, insensitive to time, mm -hmm. insensitive to holiday quarter, things like that. And maybe that makes like a little bit more predictable than say uh an Apple where people definitely buy iPhones in the holiday quarter. I don't know who would willingly not give a tax bracket, gift to someone, that's who. but that's you know, whatever. Um <laughs> Not in our tax bracket. <laughs> uh, Matthew Panzerino, please pay us more. Um, anyways, so uh, uh, so yeah, so it's uh, it, it's one of those things where I, I I look at this and we're talking about like recurring revenue and things like that, and and kind of adding those incremental Sonos speakers at the higher or lower end, and you know by getting people's attention with a hundred dollar one and getting them up to a five hundred dollar one when they feel like it's a good product. Uh, I think makes sort of makes a little bit of sense, but uh, you know it may be a GoPro situation at some point where like I have two years ago's GoPro. Why do I need a new GoPro? It yeah. does the same thing for candy me, so. and soap. Yeah. Okay. So what? Candy. What? 
what what happened? So, why why does SoftBank buy everything? Is my like, question. They just bought it. So let me let me give some context. Uh, SoftBank's vision <laughs> fund, the hundred billion dollar mega vehicle that's going out and buying a chunk of everybody, uh, put two hundred and forty million dollars in, into a company called Brandless, and Brandless is famous for selling a number of goods, branded goods, ironically, at $3 a pop. Branded. So you can buy a $3 toothpaste and $3 toilet paper and $3 mouthwash and $3 this and $3 that, $3 tomato sauce, whatever. And it launched a while ago. I bought some stuff from it once and I forgot about it. Uh, SoftBank didn't and bought about half the company for $240 million <laughs> in one go. So the company is now hyper-capitalized, worth about a half billion, and has the best, best friend in finance, Masayoshi Sun. So anyways... What what do we think about this? And then also, could they have said no? Oh, yeah. Because I wonder if this was a deal they just couldn't quite uh, refuse. So, so, so the thing that first stood out to me, um, and this is like ex-liquidation preference and like what the cap table looks like and things like that, is they bought $240 million out of $500 million valuation, which is exactly under a controlling stake of the company or like barely under controlling stake of the company. So I'm wondering what the negotiation was for that final $11 million or something like that as to see if like, because it doesn't seem like SoftBank is in the business of buying controlling stakes of these companies. They'll, they'll pay for them at huge valuations and things like that. Obviously there's other, there are other rounds and, and things like that. But like uh, it, it, it's one of those things where it's interesting that they're holding on to at least part of it, even though Brandless is like a it's a CPG. That's company, my question. And it's one it's of those low things that's like never going to have particularly good recurring revenue because it's, it's they're consistent selling, you know, and it can be yeah, relatively yeah. high margin. Consumer packaged goods are the opposite of that. It feels like to me. So the the play feels very strange, and I don't get why the Vision Fund, which has money in things like I don't know Uber and WeWork and these potentially high margin companies, well, wag I don't know. But in this case, it feels like a really wag. low margin play, and and that's why I've struggled to get my head fully around it. Why take that much of your dry powder and, and invest into a company that's going to have to spend a long time building enormous revenue to drive enough gross profit to generate any sort of material net income? That just, I I do not understand. Maybe that's why I don't run a $100 billion fund, but I don't I don't see it. Well, <laughs> well part, part, of the, part of the challenge is that they have too much dry powder. And yeah, they, $100 billion. So, dollars. <laughs> and it's, it's not easy. And they, they want to invest in private companies. And the one thing they always look at, can they invest $200 million? And it's not easy to find too many private companies to invest $200 million. And that's that does create, uh, you know, I, I think that will create some more interesting investments from this because mm -hmm. you you soon you start running out of those pretty fast. Yeah. It's $100 billion to invest. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's one of those things where you're always, if you're the VC in the room, that you're always talking about how it's a 10-year threshold and it's uh -huh. a 10-year fund and you're going to be working on this for a long time. I still don't know how you're going to deploy 90-something billion dollars in capital in 10 years. That does not seem like uh -huh. enough time yeah. to deploy 90-something billion dollars uh -huh. in capital. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think one of the things that, that I would think we'll see more and more is uh, SoftBank as kind of a sort of a mini IPO or alternative to an IPO. Mm -hmm. So it's not just primary capital coming in the company, but also the, the secondary, second, yeah. a lot of secondary, like the the founders and existing early stage VCs and employees selling as part of these rounds 
uh, add to SoftBank. Yeah. And I mean, so the other thing to note is that there are some comps on the market, um, sort of. So uh, Honest Company is probably a good example, but even then, Honest Company is one of those 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 situations where it wasn't too clear where the business was going. There was some talk about them getting acquired at one point that didn't happen, and so that's one of those like weird, wonky Twilight Zone situations. And then there are other the the other thing is for something like Brandless, which is branded Brandless, which is weird, but it's I understand the play there. Um, is that there? There are larger CPG companies like Unilever that are buying up these branded companies that manage to build kind of like a cult following. Like Dollar Shave Club is a perfect example of this, where they bought it for I don't know a billion or whatever it was, right? And so, uh, and say if if Brandless can build a branded Brandless cult following, then there is a natural exit for it. And so you you know you invest two hundred forty million. Well, obviously it's part of, part of a part of a fund or part of a round. So like, obviously not all 240 million of that is SoftBanks. But if say I invest $100 million at a $500 million valuation, Unilever buys it for a billion, I've 2X'd my return on that. And that's it. So it's, it's not like it's a, a blind, unsafe bet. There are, there is some precedent to it. I but think it's the, still a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I think the 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 for the challenge for companies like Unilever is it's not the products. Like they're not buying it for the they're not going to buy for the product. They're going to buy for the distribution channel. Mm-hmm. So like the the consumer products you go in a store or you buy from Amazon and all that. But the new distribution channels like this direct to home or uh, all kind of like you know uh, which will create this kind of cult kind of uh, distribution mechanisms. Yeah, that's they become attractive by themselves. Yeah. So if Unilever has to acquire, they, they could use that distribution channel at some point. Yeah, they own the customer. They own the customer relationship. I don't have to go you know, through one thing, Amazon I know we're on time, or Walgreens. I've been thinking a lot about this since it came out. And I was at Whole Foods uh, super recently, embarrassingly enough. And I was going through and I was just kind of shocked at how it seems that Whole Foods is now half store brands, like half brands that are owned by the corporation itself or, or Amazon proper. Yeah, but you know, but Lacroix costs six bucks or twelve back, but the Amazon oh, like water, the soda water that's always on sale. Cents, you know, whatever. And so, it, <laughs> to me, I wonder if we're seeing kind of a weird consolidation of uh, of choice for consumers. I you get less, and if uh, people start to play their own deck a bit, like Amazon is through Whole Foods, I wonder if Brandless is just merely a bit early on a wave that we're now going to see. You know, because the company's a couple years old now. I, I'm I'm just curious if consumers will like that because one thing I did like about Whole Foods before is that it had yeah. it, what it felt like infinite things from different people, whereas now it feels like about half from Jeff and half from people I don't know. But I, I don't know if I like that quite as much as I did before. I still go there in, in embarrassing amount because I live near them, but <laughs> that's about it. Oh, good old Uncle Jeff. Um, okay, I think that's all the time we have for us because our producer is rapidly f- waving his arms frantically for us to wrap up. So uh, so thanks for joining us and uh, tune in next week. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and a big thank you to Matthew Lindley, Connie Loizos, our producer Christopher Gates, our executive producer Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week. 